Good morning, church family. For it is wonderful to see all of you here today, as this morning we will once again be jumping back into the Gospel of Mark and looking specifically this morning at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, or when two of Jesus' disciples, those disciples being James and John, make a request of Jesus Christ. And this request from James and John Church, well, it comes right on the heels of Jesus Christ sharing with his disciples, in fact, for a third time, that he, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, would be killed, and that after three days would be raised from the dead. And he, Jesus Christ, did that, church, all while he and his twelve disciples were traveling to that of Jerusalem. And by saying to them in verse 33, that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and that they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and that in Jerusalem, he, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, would be delivered into the hands of the chief priest and that of the scribes, both of which were part of the Sanhedrin here, church, or that of the Jewish high court here, church. And that they would ultimately then, verse 33, condemn Jesus Christ over to death. However, being that these aforementioned Jewish authorities did not have the authority at this time to actually carry out this execution and death of Jesus Christ, these Jewish authorities then, as we go on to see in verse 33, would eventually then deliver Jesus Christ over to the Gentiles or over to the Roman officials of the day, who would ultimately then, church, as we see in verse 34, mock Jesus Christ and spit on Jesus Christ, flog Jesus Christ, and eventually then kill Jesus Christ, also that three days later, he, Jesus Christ, could be raised from the dead. Which again is Jesus Christ here, church, teaching and preparing and explaining to his disciples what he, as the Messiah, ultimately came into this world to do. That being, as we will see in our text today, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. However, just as we saw all the way back in Mark chapter 8, church, and then again in Mark chapter 9, after Jesus Christ previously foretold about his death and resurrection to his disciples, so too will we see once again today Jesus' disciples responding to Jesus' foretelling about his death and resurrection with that of some ignorance and even that of some arrogance, which will lead then to Jesus Christ explaining to his disciples once again what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. If Jesus Christ came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many, then his disciples must also be willing to be a servant to all as well. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. If Jesus Christ came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many, 
then his disciples must also be willing to be a servant to all as well. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. And to also then at this time, open that brand new Bible of yours up to page 846, and to join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 10 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 35 through 45, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the the ten heard about it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be first among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life up as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, the riches and the depth and the brilliance and the beauty of this text this morning, Father, showcasing to us that you sent your Son into this world, the Son of the Most High God, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many, to pay the price that we could never pay, to redeem us, to save us, and to deliver us from the ultimate punishment that we deserve from our sin. Eternal condemnation, destruction, and judgment at the hands of a holy God. And yet, Father, you so loved us, you sent your Son into this world to pay that ransom 
for us. Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word this morning, that we come to love your Son, Jesus Christ, even more today, as we understand more fully why he came into this world. Not to be celebrated nationally, loved politically, to gain power militarily, but instead to serve, to love the children of God to the point that he would give his own life for them. Father, open our eyes, our ears this morning to the beauty of this text, the depth of this text. Soften our hearts to receive this text so that as we live, leave here today, we desire above all else to kiss the Son, to praise the Son, to love the Son for his ransom that he paid in our place and as our substitute. Father, help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning, I pray to deliver your word faithfully to this dear flock above all else so that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, fight the urge to be self-seeking since that is not the way to true greatness. Christian, fight the urge to be self-seeking since that is not the way to true greatness. Verse 35 through 40, which reads, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So after Jesus Christ said to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, that he was going to be condemned to death by the chief priest and by that of the scribes, and that they then would deliver Jesus Christ over to the Gentiles, who would then mock him, spit on him, flog him, and ultimately then kill him, Two of Jesus' disciples then, those being James and John, the sons of Zebedee church, verse 35, and that of the sons of thunder church, Mark chapter 3, and that of the fishermen church, who Jesus Christ called all the way back in Mark chapter 1, that they then come up to Jesus Christ, seemingly with that of their mother here as well, as we see in Matthew chapter 20, and they say to him in verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Which, make no mistake about it, church, is a pretty bold and a pretty brazen and a pretty mind-boggling request. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ, with such patience, replies back to them here in verse 36 by saying to them, For what do you want me to do for you? 
To which they then say back to Jesus Christ in verse 37, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And thus what is seemingly taking place here, church, is Numerous commentators have pointed out is that James and John here, likely at this time, not only believe that this man named Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, and is the Son of Man, but also then that when he, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, arrives in that of Jerusalem, that his messianic glory then is going to be revealed, and that his messianic kingdom then is also going to be established there as well. And thus because of that, James and John then, seemingly blinded by their own selfish ambition here, want to get their foot in the door here, if you will, by seeing if they can be the ones, in essence, who get to sit at the right hand and at the left hand of Jesus Christ in his messianic kingdom. Or to put it another way, for James and John here, church, selfishly want to be the ones who get the top positions of power and of authority and of prestige right there after Jesus Christ in his messianic kingdom. To which Jesus Christ then responds back to them in verse 38 by saying to them, For you do not know what you are asking. For are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? The cup here, church, that Jesus Christ would drink, being a metaphor here for the wrath of God that would ultimately be poured out on Jesus Christ, and the baptism here, church, that Jesus Christ would be baptized with, also being a metaphor here for the immersion or the flooding of suffering and death that Jesus Christ would also have to endure as well. To which James and John then, church, reply back to Jesus Christ in verse 39 by saying to him, for we are able, indicating here, as David Garland writes, that James and John were just as self-confident in their own abilities as the rich young ruler was back in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, and that James and John believe here that that they can endure some hardship if Jesus Christ will just grant them some seats of power and that of some corner offices. Since they view discipleship to Jesus at this time as a means to a selfish end, and that it will help them achieve their goal of having power over others. And thus Jesus Christ then makes clear to the both of them in verse 39 that the cup that I drink you will drink, And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And Jesus Christ is by no means here, church, saying that James and John will also then bear the wrath of a holy God as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of many, since we all know, church, that that was something that only Jesus Christ himself was able to do, but that instead what Jesus Christ is saying here, church, is that since a disciple is not above their teacher and a servant is not above their master, that James and John will indeed still share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ and still be persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ as well, which most definitely ended up happening to the both of them, church, as the apostle James was ultimately killed for his faith, as seen in Acts chapter 12, 
And the apostle John was ultimately exiled to the island of Patmos for his faith, as seen in Revelation chapter 1. And yet simply because James and John both shared in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, For that by no means meant that James and John would also then get the lofty positions that they initially asked Jesus Christ for as well. Since as we go on to see in verse 40, who sits at my right hand and left is not mine to grant, Jesus says, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And that it is ultimately God, the Father Church, who grants these places of honor, And ultimately, God the Father, church, who also has prepared these places of honor, as the New Living Translation puts it, for the ones he has chosen. Nevertheless, as we begin to wrap up point number one this morning, church, I'd like to do so by considering at this time just how foolish it is to live a life in the here and now where you are devoted to yourself or to your own selfish desires and ambitions and gains. For the American evangelist, D.L. Moody once wrote, For how quickly does the glory of this world fade away? For over a hundred years ago, at the time of this writing, the great Napoleon made this earth tremble as he blazed and shone as an earthly warrior for a little while. However, once a few years passed, it was a little island that then was able to hold this once proud and mighty warrior, where he then died as a poor and broken-hearted prisoner. And where is Napoleon today? Well, he's almost forgotten. For who in all the world today will say that Napoleon lives on in their hearts? For earth's nobility are all too soon forgotten. And yet John Bunyan, for example the Bedford Tinker, for he has outlived the whole crowd of those who were the nobility during his day. Because whereas they lived for self, and their memory was soon blotted out, Bunyan, for he lived for God and for souls, and his name is as fragrant today as it ever was. And thus I just want to lovingly remind you all here today, church, And reiterate to you all here today, church, and to encourage and to exhort and to admonish you all here today, church, to fight the sinful urge to let your pride convince you that you need to live for that of the self. Or to let your ego convince you that you need to take you need to take what you think you deserve, or that to let your arrogance convince you that you need to reign supremely over others, or that you need to let your love for self convince you that you always need to get your own way, to get the last word, and tell others what to do, and to always place yourself first above all, since that way of thinking, quite simply, is not the way 
way of Jesus Christ. And thus, because of that, we have got to purge ourselves then, church, of this idea and of this notion and of this concept that in order for us to be truly great, that we then have got to be the ones who possess all the power, who hold all the cards, and to make all the rules. Because if that is still your understanding of true greatness this morning, Christian, in light of everything that we have read thus far in the Gospel of Mark, then quite frankly then, Christian, you have absolutely missed the mark. Since our God, Christian, he opposes the proud. He hates the one with haughty eyes, and he will surely punish those, Proverbs 16, 5, who are arrogant in heart. Which brings us to point number two. Which is this. True kingdom greatness comes not by being served by others, but instead by being a servant to all. True kingdom greatness comes not by being served by others, but instead by being a servant to all. To all. Verses 41 through 45. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So after James and John selfishly seek to sit at the right hand and at the left hand of Jesus Christ in his glory. Not shockingly then, when the other ten disciples of Jesus Christ find out about this, for they then, to put it lightly, church, were not pleased. So much so, as we see in verse 41, that they then began to be indignant at James and John. As in, they began to be angry at James and John, and displeased with James and John, and furious, and annoyed, and incensed toward James and John, likely because they were just as selfish and as power-hungry as James and John. And that they were likely upset here, church, because James and John, quite frankly, were quicker to the draw here than they were in requesting these most prestigious positions of power in the kingdom of God. And thus, in light of all this, Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 42, for he then calls his disciples to himself, and he says to them in verse 42, for you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. 
in essence, pointing out here that although the rulers and the authorities of the Gentiles behave in a way and rule in a way that is ruthless and self-absorbing, domineering and self-absorbed, that that type of behavior, according to Jesus Christ, verse 43, shall not be so amongst his disciples. Since as Jesus Christ goes on to share in verse 43 that whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And in verse 44 that whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Again, pointing out here, church, that true greatness does not come by ruthlessly gaining power in the here and now, nor by selfishly domineering over others in the here and now, nor by egotistically lording over others in the here and now, but that instead by willingly being a servant to all, which was exemplified perfectly for us, church, by the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, who came into this world not to come to power politically, nor to conquer and destroy foreign enemies militarily, nor even to simply be served by the people of Israel nationally, but instead he, Jesus Christ, came into this world, verse 45, to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. For there's a story told about an English missionary by the name of George Attlee who was attacked by a party of natives in Africa. However, he had with him at the time of the attack a Winchester rifle with ten loaded chambers in it. And thus the attackers were completely at his mercy. However, Attlee concluded that if he killed the natives at that time, that he would do more harm to the mission than if he allowed them to take his life. And thus, when his body was found later in a stream, his rifle was also there with him, with all ten of its chambers still loaded. And George Attlee could have saved himself there, but he chose instead to give his life up for others, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Similarly, Jesus Christ did not have to go to the cross, for he could have just saved himself, but he chose to give his life up in order to save sinners from the power and penalty of sin. And thus, in his sacrificial death, he gave his life up as a ransom for many. And that he... Jesus Christ, church, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and for by him all things were created on earth and in heaven, visible and invisible, that he, Jesus Christ, came into this world not to be served, but instead to serve, and to serve not only to the point of just healing the sick church, or giving sight to the blind church, or giving bread to the hungry, water to the thirsty, cleansing to the leper, and telling the paralytic man to pick up his bed and to walk, but even to the point of giving up his life as a ransom for many, in that he, Jesus Christ, was willing to give his life up as the payment needed 
needed, or as the redemption price needed, which was paid not to that of Satan, Christian, but instead to that of God the Father himself, all in order to save us, redeem us, and to deliver us, Christian. Romans 5, 9, from the wrath of a holy God that we deserve for our sin. And thus, because of that, unashamedly then, Christian, praise the Father, praise the Son, and worship your God in your body this morning, Christian, since you were indeed bought with a price by the precious blood of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who humbly and to meekly and to self-sacrificially, Christian, came into this world not to be served but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I want to begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And to share with you, non-Christian, that it does not matter at this time how many sins you think you may have committed in this life, nor does it matter how egregious or how shockingly bad you think those sins of yours might be, nor even does it matter how unforgivable or unpardonable or inexcusable or reprehensible you think those sins of yours are. Because if you come to faith in Jesus Christ this morning, non-Christian, for the forgiveness of your sins, for I can promise you that the ransom that Jesus Christ paid on that cross at Calvary, that it absolutely was enough, non-Christian, to pay the price for each and every one of your sins. And I say that because Jesus Christ, he came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man and a initially lived for us the life that we could never live, and that he, Jesus Christ, literally lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was sinless and righteous and holy and good, and thus because of that, fulfilled then, non-Christian, the very law of God, completely and absolutely and without any kind of offense, all for the very children of God. However, merely keeping the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that in and of itself, non-Christian, was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Again, since a price still needed to be paid for their sins, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did when he willingly paid that price by being crucified and crushed and killed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, all in order to appease and satisfy the wrath of a holy God non-Christian toward his sinful children. And thus because Jesus Christ then non-Christian, this sinless Son of God, did indeed then appease the wrath of a holy God all toward the very children of God three days later 
and non-Christian, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for thus far this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I exhorted you all and encouraged you all and admonished you all initially to fight the urge to let your pride and your ego and your arrogance convince you, Christian, that you need to gain lots of power and to put yourself first in order to be truly great, since that, quite frankly, is not the way of Jesus Christ. Since as we also touched on today, Jesus Christ, he came into this world, Christian, not to be served, but in order to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. And thus, in light of all that today, I want to close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, with this. That although the world is telling you at this time that you've got to fight and to selfishly take whatever you think you deserve, and that you've got to have that dog mentality and to bulldoze over others in order to put yourself first, and that you've got to do whatever it takes in order to get these positions of power and of authority and of prestige, all in order to become that of truly great. I'm here to tell you this morning, Christian, to not believe a word of it since true greatness does not come by yelling at others in the fellowship hall to set up tables, since that kind of work is beneath you. Nor does it come by speaking arrogantly to others, since they don't possess the same kind of lofty position in the church as you. Nor even does it come by domineering over others, all to make sure that they know that they don't have anywhere near the kind of power or authority or control within this church body that you do. But that instead, the way to true greatness, Christian, comes, as J.C. Ryle writes, by devoting yourself, body, soul, and spirit, to the blessed work of making your fellow man more holy and more happy, since it is those who exert themselves by the use of biblical means to lessen sorrow and to increase the joy of others around them who are truly great in the sight of God. 
And if that doesn't convict your soul this morning, Christian, then quite honestly, you need to wake up and to go to war then, Christian, against any desire of your flesh that is urging you at this time or telling you at this time or cunningly is trying to persuade you at this time that it's okay for you to put yourself first, to put others last, and to put your own selfish ambitions above and beyond the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ since it should be our goal here instead, Christian especially when you walk into this building and interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ to serve them and not dominate them and help them and not try to manipulate them and to listen to them and not to talk down on them and to be patient with them and not to grumble against them, to assist them and not to belittle them and ultimately to love them and not to fight against them. And thus, do not be fooled then, Christian, into believing the lie that you have to gain power and authority and control here in this church in order to be truly great in the eyes of your Most High God, because the fact of the matter is, all you need to do, Christian, in order to seek that of true greatness is to be willing to humble yourself, to put yourself last, and to sacrificially be a servant to all. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body let these verses that we hear this morning not just be words that go in one ear and out the other, but that they instead be words of truth that we listen to and that we are convicted by and that we are transformed by and that grow deeper and deeper into the fabric of this dear church so that we as brothers and sisters in Christ can grow in humility and grow in servanthood and grow in our desire to literally put the needs of one another before that of our own. Therefore, Father, where we have prideful spots in our lives this morning, and that of haughty eyes, and that of selfish ambition. Lord, convict us of those sins at this time. Bring us to our knees and draw our eyes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the ransom that he paid to redeem us on that cross at Calvary. And let Christ and Christ alone then, Father, be our example as we seek to serve one another humbly and meekly and self-sacrificially and without expecting anything in return, knowing that it is that kind of self-sacrificial service, Lord, that pleases you and is the way of true kingdom greatness. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we hear these words this morning, Father, that again, they don't go into one ear and out the other. As this has been the routine of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and Mark chapter 10, to teach his disciples about his death and resurrection to have his disciples respond with ignorance and with arrogance, and for Christ then to teach his disciples, those who walked with him, at the way to true greatness, 
comes not by accumulating power, but instead by self-sacrificial service, exemplified for us perfectly by the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, who came into this world not to accumulate power, not to be served by the masses, but to give his life up, to save us from the greatest enemy, the one that we cannot defeat on our own, sin. So, Father, let this message today, let it pierce our hearts. For we see this come up three times because we are a hard-headed, hard-hearted people. And I pray that today it sinks in deeply into the fabric of each of these brothers and sisters in Christ and into the fabric of this church body. That we do not seek to accumulate power over one another, but we seek to put ourselves last, to put others before ourselves, and to serve, since that and that alone is the way to true kingdom greatness. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.